0: Welcome in, Ute fans. This is the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's powered by kslsports.com. I'm your host and Utes insider, Trevor Allen. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition. It's been a while, and I apologize for that. Now, it got really, really busy, as you guys have may have seen over the last week and a half. With the end of the season, um, the last game of the year, basketball's going on, signing day, frankly, just haven't had time to hurry and bust out a podcast, so... Uh, I decided to make it a priority on Sunday, December twenty seventh, especially because of the recent news, which we'll go over here in just a minute. But I also want to remind you guys to download the KSL Sports app. It's brought to you by University Federal Credit Union. You guys download that app wherever you get your apps, and it's also free and easy to use. You can get the latest and greatest content regarding the Utes, and you can also it's an avenue for you to be able to download the Crimson Corner podcast. So. Make sure you guys download the KSL Sports app as it's brought to you by University Federal Credit Union. So, as we're taping this Sunday evening, the news settled in about the passing of freshman running back Ty Jordan. On Christmas night, the police were called in Denton, Texas, as there was a shooting uh, at a home. And the uh, victim was taken to the hospital where they pronounced the victim dead due to a single gunshot wound and apparently according to police um, and also to the authorities that it was an accidental shooting and the uh, Tarrant County Medical Examiner's Office announced that that was indeed Utah running back Ty Jordan. Um, He was 19 years old. I gotta say, I woke up Saturday morning to my phone just lighting up. People asking me if it was true. Being the reporter that I am, I did some digging. And I wanna get this out of the way first before I get into this, because of what I have to say about Ty Jordan, I don't want this of what I'm about to say to Trump that, so I wanna make sure I get this across. There were some media members out there, I'm not gonna point them out, cause that's not right, that's not who I am, I'm not someone who calls out people, but I will call out any type of situation where it is not appropriate to do something. Now, there were other outlets that had the news first, which is great. Normally, you wanna try and be first. It's just the way it is. But you also wanna be right. That's the number one thing to being a sports reporter or even anybody in news. You wanna make sure that you have the right information, whether you're last, first, second, doesn't matter. As long as you're right. And even though the person who decided to report this was right, they portrayed the information wrong. There was a local media member who said that the Denton Police Department told him that the person who died was Ty Jordan. And I had talked to a couple of sources that that said that they heard the same thing, but I didn't run with it. Because in something like this, out of respect for the family, and in this case, the Utah football family, it is inappropriate to try and get this first. Unless you have legitimate sources. Because what later came out was the Denton Police Department tweeted at this person and said, This is not accurate. We did not release the name. And obviously at 10 a.m., Utah released a statement from Mark Harlan and Kyle Whittingham. And I can only imagine what those players have gone through. And I think you guys have seen on Twitter how loved Ty Jordan was by his teammates, by his coaches, by the staff members by the university, by the fans. I'm going to be honest with you, this one hurts. And I know that that's an obvious statement. And, you know, we never got a chance to truly talk to Ty Jordan as media members. Normally throughout fall camp, spring ball, any of that, you get the opportunity to talk to these players at practice. Uh, You know, media goes over to the practice fields. At a certain time, we're allowed to observe the last 20 minutes normally of practice. And then after that, we get to interview players and coaches. But because of COVID, our first conversation with Ty Jordan was after the Washington game. And that's because he was a part of a rotation that had four running backs. Devin Brumfield, McKay Bernard, Ty Jordan, and Jordan Wilmore. We all know the story of him verbally committing to Texas and then ultimately changing and signing with Utah. And then we all found out in August that Ty Jordan's mother – passed away due to cancer and so everything Ty Jordan told us after every time that we talked to him and I think we talked to him every single game after the Washington game and I will say everything that he wanted to do it was just to make his mother proud and I'll tell you the progress he made from game to game and ultimately being Utah's lead back by game three proves that what he did here the uh, short time he was here his legacy will last a long time. A lifetime because just seeing his smile on his face regardless of what happened out on the field I know there were times where he was really critical of himself especially whenever he would fumble the ball which I think he only did two or three times but when he scored six touchdowns and ran for 597 yards that's where you know that he not only had a long lasting legacy at Utah for his play on the field but off the field because of how many people he touched in just the one year he was here. So with that said, my thoughts and prayers are with Ty Jordan's family, every single Utah football player, coach, staff member, athletic department employee, any member of the University of Utah, and also the fans. My thoughts and prayers are all with you as you grieve. And I know that media members are are supposed to be neutral and When it comes to these things, yeah, we're going to give you the news, but it doesn't mean that we don't have any feelings about it. You know, I didn't know Ty Jordan like like these others did, the players. I never truly got a chance to talk to him. I asked him, you know, a few questions on the post-game Zoom calls, but it makes me sad to think that I won't be able to get to know him, the person that he is, and not just the football player. And I know that people have, and this one really makes me mad, and I know that there's not a lot of people talking about it, but there are a couple and I just want to put that to rest right now. What does that do for Utah's running back room? Absolutely nothing. Because it shouldn't mean anything right now. It's the very last thing that should come to anyone's mind is who's next for, at the running back spot. Coaches, players, recruits, and most importantly the fans. I mean, the season just ended. But even if this tragedy happened just before the season, during the season, it still wouldn't matter who is up next. Of what is important right now is allowing the time for these players, the family members, the program, the fans to grieve. I understand he had so much potential. People were saying he was going to be the next Zach Moss, if not better than Zach Moss. And he definitely showed that. But also, a 19-year-old just lost his life to a freak accident. If one positive thing came out of 2020 as far as sports was, that is Utah football getting to witness the greatness of Ty Jordan and his smile and his personality. And the last thing that we need to be talking about is the next man up. We don't even need to be talking about it during spring ball. There will be a time and place to be able to talk about it, but it's not now because you guys already know what's next at the running back spot anyway. You know that Jordan Wilmore and Devin Brumfield both transferred about two weeks ago after Ty Jordan had that huge game in Colorado. The week leading up to the Washington State game, Devin Brumfield and Jordan Wilmore entered the transfer portal. And Utah signed one running back in their 2021 class. There's still time to sign players to the 2021 class um, in the February signing period. But during the early signing period, Ricky Pars from Tampa, Florida, was signed. But that doesn't matter. Just on a personal level, it's just horrible to lose a life that young and and this way. Life is precious. Life is fragile. And that's something I have taken away from this tragedy. And I will send this message to you. I am a son. I am a brother. I am a husband. And I'm a father. Just like Ty Jordan was a son and a brother. So I will just say, Hug your loved ones now and often. That is something I won't take for granted anymore. Make sure you tell your loved ones how much you love them. So there's that. Rest in peace, Ty Jordan. Thank you for the memories that you have given the state of Utah through five games and for your warming personality and your smile for the last year. Now, time to recap the game. Utah finished the season strong with a 45-28 win. Over Washington State, the first half couldn't have been worse, honestly. And Kyle Whittingham said it. He's like, we played like we opted out of, the, out of the first half and the bowl game. Because just in case you guys haven't heard, Utah is not playing in a bowl game, so this is their last game of the season. So obviously season's over. Washington State went out to a 28-7 lead. Then Kyle Whittingham and Andy Ludwig decided to bench Jake Bentley. Because I'm going to be honest, Jake Bentley was not very good. He was off. He was, he was watching the receivers the whole time. He wasn't trying to disguise the cornerbacks with his eyes. It was just a terrible performance by him. I know he had the 191-yard touchdown throw to Britton Covey, but other than that, Jake Bentley was not good, and he got benched and brought in Drew Lisk. And Drew Lisk didn't do anything flashy. He made some great throws. He managed the game well, and he led the offense to being productive. And that's when Ty Jordan went off. Three touchdowns in that second half, and Utah scored 38 unanswered points to pick up the win over Washington State. So what I did that I just posted on Sunday was the Crimson Corner 2020 end-of-season awards. I handed out seven awards, and I was going to do this on Saturday, but obviously with the tragedy with Ty Jordan's passing, I decided to wait, but on Sunday, I was thinking about whether or not I should do it, and I I decided that I, I, I should, because it does honor Ty Jordan. I had three awards handed out on offense, three handed out on defense, and one on special teams. Now, for the offense, the offensive MVP, the freshman MVP, and the breakout performer of the year for Utah football is Ty Jordan. It was very easy to pick this award. It just has more more pain to it now. He had 83 carries for 597 yards, six touchdowns, averaging 7.2 yards per carry and 119.4 yards per game. He also caught 11 passes for 126 yards. He was named a Crimson Corner standout performer two times this season, and that was from the Oregon State game on when I would tweet out those uh, graphics with players. And he was also named Pac-12 Offensive Freshman of the Year second-team All-Pac-12, and the Associated Press Pac-12 Newcomer of the Year. Now on to defense. The 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 defensive MVP is Devin Lloyd. He lived up to expectations this season um, as the leader of Utah's defense. He led the Utes with 48 tackles along with a team-high 10 tackles for loss to go with two sacks, a quarterback hit, and a forced fumble. Now, to be quite frank, I think that Devin Lloyd is the only player who should be thinking about potentially playing in the NFL and not coming back in 2021. But I don't even know if that's even going to happen with him, to be honest. I honestly don't know. One of the media members asked him after the game on Saturday after the Washington State game, and he said he was going to think about it, but that he'd have an answer pretty soon. He was also named first-team All-Pac-12 um, and was just a force every single week. Now the Utah Defensive Freshman of the Year, Clark Phillips the third. He definitely lived up to the hype in his first season with the Utes. He had 25 tackles, two tackles for loss, two breakups, one fumble recovery, and kept Utah's pick six streak alive with a house call in the final three minutes of the season finale against Washington State. Now entering that game, Utah had 16 seasons straight with at least one interception returned for a touchdown. And going into that Washington State game, Utah still didn't have any pick sixes in in 2020. But with under three minutes to go, Clark Phillips had a 36-yard interception for a touchdown. So now it's 17 straight seasons with a pick six. And the thing is, five games that Phillips started in, in this season, he played either outside corner or nickel. Those five games are going to be huge for him moving forward as he gets ready for a full Pac-12 season in 2021. And then the Utes Defensive Breakout Performer of the Year, Nephi Sewell, making the move from safety in 2019 to linebacker in 2020. That was a tremendous move. Sewell picked up the second most tackles on the team with 40, along with six tackles for loss, two pass breakups, two interceptions, a forced fumble, and two fumble recoveries. And he had one of those fumble recoveries taken to the end zone for a touchdown in the season opener against USC. And he was also named All-Pac-12 Honorable Mention. And then the special teams, I went with co-MVPs. Jaden Redding and Britton Covey were named the Crimson Corner co-MVPs on special teams. Redding made all eight of his field goals, two for two from 20 to 29 yards, three for three from 30 to 39 yards, and three for three from 40 to 49 yards. He also made all 17 extra points. He is one of five kickers in the country to make all their field goal attempts and is one of two kickers to make all of his field goals and extra points joining Alabama's kicker. And then for Britton Covey, in four games this year, he had 129 punt return yards and 113 kick return yards, and he had a punt return for a touchdown against Oregon State. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about signing day that happened for the Utes, how they did during that early signing period. And we'll also keep tabs on the running Utes as they hope to start back up Pac-12 play once again on New Year's Eve. You're listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast. Welcome back in. This is the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's powered by KSLSports.com. I'm your host and Utes Insider, Trevor Allen. Thank you so much for tuning in. Something I just want to bring across to you guys in case you hadn't heard, and then we'll get into signing day. On Tuesday, Utah had four players enter the transfer portal. The first one was Utah football punter Ben Lennon. He is in the portal, and that one was kind of a shock. And then the next one was not so shocking. Jake Bentley. He entered the portal because Utah picked up two big time quarterback commitments via the transfer portal. So you already have Cam Rising, Cooper Justice, who's a walk on. I don't think Drew Lisk is coming back. He already has a couple of degrees, and Kyle Whittingham doesn't think he'll even come back. And then you had Bentley. But now that Bentley's gone, Utah picked up a graduate transfer. And Charlie Brewer from Baylor. He was a four-year starter for Baylor. Threw for almost 10,000 yards during his time with the Bears. And then they also picked up a Texas transfer, Jaquindon Jackson. Now, the thing about him, he was a part of the 2020 class, signed, enrolled at Texas, and then he decided to enter the uh, transfer portal on December 15th. And then four days later, announced his commitment to utah now coming out of duncanville high school in duncanville texas in 2020 jackson was a four-star recruit the number 10 ranked prospect in the entire state of texas that says something and he's the third highest rated dual threat quarterback in the nation he had offers from everywhere and he also ran track and field as well and from what i understand ty jordan was a big reason why he picked utah so after all that came down, Jake Bentley decided, I'm out of here. I'm going into the portal again. That's the end of that. And then uh, a couple of guys that were second and third string guys, Pita Tonga, defensive tackle, and uh, Mufi Hill Hunt, who played tackle on defense for Michigan State before transferring to Utah last year and then this year made the move over to tight end. Both of those guys have entered the transfer portal. So four guys in one day and six guys in a matter of a week. So I'll just say this. Don't worry about that, Ute fans. Utah has a great class coming in. If some of these other guys who were starters decide to transfer, then I would be a little concerned. This isn't like the running Utes team that is having guys transfer here and there. A lot of these guys just feel like that they deserve some more playing time, and they want to go elsewhere. So I wouldn't be too concerned with all these guys entering the portal because Utah is reloading, and they're bringing in some talent. Which brings me to my next item of business, and that is signing day. Utah, I believe, had 18 guys enroll, and you guys can check that out—a full list, updated, and everything—over at KSLSports.com. But and then they had two transfers with Jackson and Brewer, and one hard commit in Michael Fisi that is still yet to sign. I bet he'll probably sign in the, in the February period because he is a legacy recruit for Utah. But we'll just kind of start down the list. As of right now, Utah has the fourth best class in the entire Pac-12 and number 30 in the country. And that is headlined by Ethan Calvert who's a four-star inside linebacker from Oaks Christian in Westlake Village, California. He is the third highest-rated recruit in Utah football history. And then obviously the uh guy who has been committed verbally to Utah since April is Peter Costelli, the dual-threat quarterback from Mission Viejo, four-star, number 10 dual-threat quarterback in the country, number 21 prospect in the entire state of California. Mason Tufaga, who's an inside linebacker, four-star prospect from Honolulu, Hawaii, played at the same high school as Marcus Mariota. Number 15 inside linebacker in the country, number two prospect in Hawaii. And then Ricky Parks, the running back from Tampa, Florida, number 18 running back in the country, number 59 prospect in the entire state of Florida. Isaac Faha, the tight end from Pleasant Grove, Utah. Number seven in the state of Utah, number 23 tight end in the nation. And then you go down to wide receiver. You've got Makai Cope from Culver City, California. Big-time playmaker right here, 6'2", 190. Number 44 prospect in the state of California and number 80 wide receiver in the country. And then you have defensive tackle Tavita Fotu from Snow College. Trey Reynolds, who is an inside linebacker from Queen Creek, Arizona. Cole Bishop, who's an outside linebacker, slash safety. I think he's going to play safety. Um, From Stars Mill High School in Fayetteville, Georgia. Elisha Lloyd, who was originally committed to Washington State, decided to come to Utah. He's from San Marcos, California. And then you have Zerway Williams, the offensive tackle from Phoenix, Arizona. Veltre Jefferson, who's an athlete from Fresno, California. I bet he probably plays linebacker. Coley Fayou from... Uh, North Creek High School in Bothell, Washington. He's an offensive guard. Jonah Ellis, he is the son of Utah legend Luther Ellis from Moscow, Idaho. He is an outside linebacker, number one prospect in the entire state of Idaho. And then you have Darian Stewart, the safety from Las Vegas, Desert Pines High School. And then uh, another legacy recruit, the son of current Utes defensive tackles coach, Sione Puha, his son, Viliami Puha signed with Utah, he's the number thirteen prospect in the state of Utah. And then Michael Mokafisi, as I mentioned, uh did not sign during the early signing period, but is is likely to sign during the February period. And then Charlie Brewer will have immediate eligibility. Um we don't know about Jackson yet if he will be immediately eligible to sign with you or to play for Utah in twenty twenty one. So That is the signing class, and my goodness, is it a good one. I think it's really, really cool to see the spike and players that Utah is able to get in touch with and be able to recruit. So good for them, and it's only going to get better, I think. All right, and then final thing, the running Utes had their game on December 22nd against Arizona State. Postponed due to COVID-19, it sounded like Utah basketball had one more positive COVID-19 case um, within the program, so that forced them to postpone their game against Arizona State. We don't know for sure yet if they're going to be available to travel to Southern California, because that is their next scheduled game is on New Year's Eve at 5 p.m. on FS1 against UCLA at Pauley Pavilion before going over to the Galen Center in Los Angeles to take on USC on January 2nd on Saturday at 2 p.m. And since then, Utah hasn't played a game since December 18th when they beat Idaho 79-41. So they're sitting at 4-1 and overall, 1-0 and in conference play. That was when they knocked off Washington in the season opener, and their lone loss is at BYU. So there's that. That will do it for this edition of the Crimson Corner Podcast. Make sure you guys follow me on Twitter at Trevor A. Sports and at KSL Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure you download the KSL Sports app brought to you by University Federal Credit Union. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's always powered by KSL Sports.com.